Welcome to Conversations with a Wounded Healer. I'm your host, Sarah Buino. I'm a psychotherapist, teacher, consultant, and most importantly, a wounded healer, living and working in Chicago, Illinois. On this show, I interview folks in a variety of healing professions, and we discuss the intersectional journey of healing self while caring for others. We're not just focused on individual healing, but also healing on the collective level from white supremacy, late stage capitalism, and the patriarchy. Thanks for joining us. Hello, my friends. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. I don't know why all of a sudden I'm Ethel Merman. I don't, I don't know. I don't belong on this earth right now. But hi, (laughs) thanks for being here. So before we get to today's amazing guest, I wanted to talk about a concept. And to be totally transparent, and I think I've said this before, I don't really prepare these intros. I just decide a topic that I'm going to share with you. And then I just like fucking make shit up. So I'm going to, we, I don't know what's going to come out. We're going to see, but something that I've been thinking about lately is our desire for access to people. What I've been noticing. So since the pandemic started and everything shut down and everybody was freaking out, nobody was seeing each other. Many of us were only talking to the closest people in our lives and our worlds really slowed down and got smaller in a good way, I think. I mean, obviously, we wish that didn't have to happen, but I do think there were some good things that came out of it. And since then, I have really been struggling with being accessible all the time. So we've got text messages, we've got phone, we've got email, we've got instant messenger on all of these platforms that we're all a part of. And I'm really fucking tired (laughs) of being so accessible. And it's a big struggle for me. And I know that other people are struggling with it too, which is why I bring it up here. And this morning, actually, I, I look at Apple News every morning just to see what's happening in the world. And I could read about Ukraine and think about that. And for the moment, I did not want to. And I read an article about Doja Cat and... Doja Cat is a music artist. I actually don't know any of her songs, so I don't know anything about her. But there was a tweet storm and she basically was her fans were angry with her because she didn't come out to greet them. And she was basically like, fuck it. I don't want to do music anymore. And obviously just saying like, fuck you guys, I don't want to talk to you is certainly not the way to go about it. But I really resonated with that feeling of not wanting to owe a deeper part of myself to people who don't know me. And I think that that's an important concept for us to think about for everyone, right? It doesn't matter if you are, you know, a pop star or a person who has a podcast or just a person in whatever place that you are in your life. And I'm guessing that parents can probably relate to this too, right? This feeling needed a lot. And I just I just wonder if there's a way that we can continue to humanize and not objectify people that we want to connect with, right? I think that might be the answer. And I just made this up right now. So I don't know. What do you think? about objectification, right? Because I'm on this podcast and I can also tell you that when I meet people in real life, sometimes I disappoint them tremendously. (laughs) 
tremendously because when we are following someone and, you know, if it's music artist or podcaster, author, whoever it is, there's so much projection that goes on. I do this all the time, right? So I'm saying this as a person who's projected on and a person who's projecting on other people. And yeah, I guess I just wonder if we can take each other off pedestals and remind ourselves just how human every single person is and that nobody has the right to access anybody else unless that person wants to be accessed. Yeah, I don't know. Is this making any sense to you? I I hope that it is. And I hope that it brings a little mindfulness to the expectations that we have for other humans. Because even though we're not in the same place we were two years ago when the pandemic started, a lot of us are still suffering and struggling. And I feel very grateful that I'm doing much better than I was two years ago. But yeah, here we are. Here we are all struggling together as imperfect cuckoo bananas for Cocoa Puffs, crazy people. And I use the word crazy very liberally. I think that we're all, we are all sprinkled with our very own unique version of crazy. So anyway, that's my spiel about access. I did want to thank some folks who have recently posted some reviews on Apple Podcasts. I just, my heart just bursts a little in a good way when I read those reviews. So Thank you so much to folks who have taken the time to not just rate the podcast, but review it. So if you're out there and you haven't done it, I would super appreciate that. That is a way to not objectify (laughs) me and be like, hey, yo, thanks. This is cool shit. So anyway, that's my spiel for today. Let me tell you about a guest that I have been dying to have a conversation with for quite a long time. And her name is Dr. Barbara Shabazz. Dr. Shabazz is a clinical psychologist who also coaches. She has spent 25 plus years helping folks in the therapeutic setting, community, and in the classroom. Her goal with her company, Intentional Activities, is to tap into the inherent strengths of each client, equipping them with the tools necessary to live a more action-oriented and authentic life. So please welcome and enjoy the amazing, the wonderful, and my new friend, Dr. Barbara Shabazz. I cannot believe it, but Conversations with a Wounded Healer is turning five years old this month, and we're nearing our 200th episode. If you've been with me for a while, you know this podcast has been an instrumental part of my own healing journey. And now I'd love to hear how it's been a part of yours. For our 200th episode, I'd love to include your voice as well. Go to speak-to.us slash convos with a wounded healer and leave me up to a 60 second voicemail about how this podcast has impacted you. For our 200th episode in November, I'll include your message in our episode. That again is speak-to.us slash convos with a wounded healer. I can't wait to hear from you. Hello. Dr. Barbara Shabazz, how are you? I'm well. Hello, hello, Sarah. It's nice to be here. Yes. How are you? I'm better now. I had a rough start to the morning. I had a flat tire yesterday, and it's just like nothing was going my way in the past 24 hours, but (laughs) it's been better. Yes. Good, good, good. Thank you for asking. Of course. 
So you get a chance to breathe. Yes. These conversations are always a chance to breathe. So I'm just excited to get to know you because for listeners, I don't even remember when I connected with you on social media. I love what you're putting out there, what you're doing. And we've had side conversations for a while now. And I've been dying to get to know who you really are instead of just the smiling face on social media. Right. (laughs) right. Yes. The real person behind the highlight reel. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So would you mind sharing with folks a little bit more about what you do and who you are? Sure. Sure. I always say, even in my book, that I am uh, an individual, a wife, a mother, a daughter, a friend, a professional. And currently, as my cousin coined, I saw the other day on his social media feed, I'm living my nest life with my husband of almost 25 years as our boys are both away for college. So most of my days are spent helping others to live their lives more purposefully Mm -hmm. and their truth intentionally. As I always say, I'm the owner of Intentional Activities, which is a personal and executive coaching practice. So within Intentional Activities, there's also a space which I have just started working and building. It's my baby. It's Intentional Activities Academy. And so that's more of a community where we are creating more meaningful connections, deeper connections away from social and where we can just kind of show up our authentic selves, learn, unlearn, and be agents of building a more equitable and kind world. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. And you're originally a, a psychologist, right? I am. So my training is originally as a clinical psychologist. And so after doing that for a while, being in academia for a while, I opened my coaching practice. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd love to know your origin story for how you, why you <laughs> decided to become a clinical psychologist. Sure. So everyone laughs at this, but I always talk about how it started in first grade. I was actually six years old when I won this little box of notes. It was like a little note box. And I used to have friends who would come to my desk. They would write on my little notes. Do you think I should, you know, ask Becky to be my girlfriend? Do you think I should fill in the blank? And I would check a box (laughs) And write them a note Mm -hmm. and give it back to them. So from first grade, I always knew that I enjoyed being the person who people felt comfortable speaking with or talking to, having a listening ear from. But I had a little detour. I wanted to become an attorney Mm. at one time. And so I literally used to go to court and watch cases and take notes at like eight years old. Yeah. But then fast forward to high school, I took a couple of psychology classes and then decided to do undergrad in psych. I did a master's in counseling, and then I ended up in a clinical psych doctoral program. And from there, that's when I did some therapy work, some work in academia for years. And I had a supervisor who was actually a coach. Hmm. And as I was doing my hours for my psych stuff and 
said, hmm, I really like that. But the reason I really became a coach was because I was laid off a couple of times in one year. Hmm. And I said, you know, and this is academia when enrollment was low. And Hmm. I said, well, I can bet on myself. And so I went to Atlanta for the weekend, enrolled in a positive psychology coaching program, Hmm. did that work. And that's how Intentional Activities was born. Mm -hmm. It's funny that I feel like there is a large subset of therapists who are shifting into the coaching realm right now. Are you feeling that too? Oh, definitely. And when I was speaking with my supervisor, this was back in 03. Wow. Oh, yeah. So I think it's been been kind of a trend, something Mm -hmm. that's been building for some years now. But people really don't like dealing with managed care. I know. I know. (laughs) So that's one reason why I think we're seeing a shift. Yeah, absolutely. And not being able to practice outside of state lines. There's just, I really continue to wrestle with this because I don't want gatekeeping for people who should be in the field, but I want gatekeeping for people who shouldn't be in the field. (laughs) You know what I mean? I do. I do. I absolutely do. And I see it with the field of psychology, therapy, the mental health field. Yeah. I see it in coaching as well. Yes. You know, there are some people who when I went to my program, I looked around the room and I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is you're going to harm people. Right. And so I think there needs to be there always needs to be a level of gatekeeping. And then some freedom is really nice, too. Yeah. I keep recognizing because, of course, I'm watching all of the con things right now, like Tinder Swindler and (laughs) Master and listening to these (laughs) podcasts. Right. And I'm Uh like. There's always going to be somebody who fucks it up, right? We could never, we really could never have a benevolent society where everyone actually treats each other with respect and decency and generosity. And that (sighs) makes me sad if I think about life that way. Right. It's definitely aspirational and probably not (laughs) something that we'll ever see. But I do think there are more good guys than bad. Yep. In my experience. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I would think so, too. Yeah. Well, I'm curious about your experiences in academia, because I also teach and I'm an adjunct professor. So it's different than being actually like really in it. But I my toe is in it enough to see the fuckery that can go on (laughs) and (laughs) the white supremacist nature of these institutions. So I'm just curious what you can share with listeners about your experience. Yeah. So they're varied because I have worked in so many different types of academia real quick. I started out at a community college. That was my job as an adjunct back in 2001. And I worked there for almost 20 years at that same Mm. one. And at the same time, throughout that time, I worked at my old HBCU. And then from there, I did online work with a professional psychology school. And then I was at a local, private, for-profit, which said they were pretty much like nonprofit university as well. And so we see in the, some people call it the academy, that structure, (laughs) that structural um, racism, those problems exist. 
the students were always my happy place. Yeah. Yeah. The students always were invested. They were always engaged. They just wanted to know that someone was there standing before them who cared. Who cared. Yes. yes. And so many professors <laughs> don't. Oh, right. my God. And they don't. And and I've yeah. had those professors, as I'm sure you have, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember at my HBCU having professors who said, I got mine. So it's up to you to get yours. Right. And I've had experiences run the gamut. I've had women who look like me not be supportive. I've had, you know, women who look like, you know, our founding fathers and and men who look Mm -hmm. like our founding fathers also levy discrimination, prejudice. But I've also had good experiences with the adults I worked with. But people are flawed. People are human across the board. Mm hmm. And institutions are made of people. And institutions are made of people. Exactly. And those institutions are steeped in the conditioning that we've all been educated in. Mm-hmm. So I looked forward to those opportunities, those one-on-one opportunities. And I figured if I could focus my scope on kind of the each one teach one piece, mm-hmm. then I would have been doing what I was there to do. Mm-hmm. And it's so hard, right? Because I think in order to change the systems, we have to be in the systems, Mm -hmm. we have to do something, but the labor, right, to actually really care for the students as much as I find I like to do, that takes Uh a lot of time and energy. And especially when we're adjuncts, we have other jobs too. And I would have students come to me and tell me things like, Recently, I had somebody tell me about her placement was just shit. And Mm -hmm. she's like, Mm -hmm. I'm filing papers and not getting an opportunity to do anything. And every time I bring it up, I'm told that I'm being disrespectful. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's such a shame that that there's not a lot that it feels like we can do because these systems, they've just continued to perpetuate themselves over and over. I feel like I'm being a downer today and that's not my intention, but I'm just... (laughs) I'm just like, no, it's okay. You're being a human. You're being real. And no, all those experiences that you're talking about resonate with me. All of them. You know, as I'm flipping through the Rolodex. Yeah, there are times when we don't have the bandwidth because we are adjuncting. And this is just something we're doing from six to nine and then grading papers and corresponding with them, you know, in different ways Mm -hmm. uh, via email. And you just see so much that's wrong. Right. And again, we know that perfect is not a thing. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think leadership has a huge Mm -hmm. (laughs) bearing on how much we can just approximate what's right, what's beneficial. And -hmm. if the leadership is not interested or the leadership has different motivations, then I think that it's harder as a a supporting cast member, if you will. Right. Yeah. I'm really trying to think about how would it be possible Mm -hmm. to create better, more equitable, more just systems? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't have answers, Mm -hmm. but I like thinking about that question. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I think that I always go back to community psychology. I used to teach a community psychology course 
at my HBCU. And one of the tenets of community psychology is we don't just create things for the community, right? We need to go into the community and we need to ask the community members what their needs are. Do a needs assessment because if we just shove stuff at people to help them, right, we end up being like saviors. Right. And then we don't know if we're really addressing the need. So it's of no value if people mm-hmm. haven't articulated that they actually can use this thing mm-hmm. that you have. Yeah. And I think at least what I'm kind of feeling into is that not that globalization itself is terrible, mm-hmm. but the smaller a community is, the more we're actually able to assess and address mm-hmm. needs appropriately. And then yeah. also... What I think we're really missing, especially in our country, is accountability. (laughs) And (laughs) okay, I just hit something real important. So bring it. I'm just going to stop talking and let you bring what you've got. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And yes. Um, I don't know. Pick a news story. Pick any news story. Right. Right. I'll give you a good example. I just saw the clip last night from the tennis match. Where I don't remember the young man's name, but he not only broke three tennis rackets, but he was like swatting at the judge, I believe, on the platform. So he just went the fuck off. (laughs) And they automatically played his statement of apology. Hmm. Oh, you know, this was so terrible. This wasn't who I was. This is just something that I did. I apologize. I shouldn't have done it. Uh, hopefully I won't do it again. It, just the same hopefully. script. Right. Cool. Right. But then we see someone like Venus or Serena Williams roll their eyes. Right. And so we talk about the accountability. We talk about the disproportionate mm-hmm. punishment, the disenfranchisement when things are out of order. Mm-hmm. So, yes, <laughs> when you talk about accountability, just I don't know. There's a number of things. Right. That right. we see every day. Yeah. And it's one thing that's really come to the surface for me over the past several years is examining my own relationship to power, Mm -hmm. how it's been used against me, how I've tried to figure out how to use my power in a responsible way. And it's interesting that the more power we get, Mm -hmm. the less likely we are to have someone to hold us accountable. So unless we're seeking accountability. Yes then there is no one because I'm thinking about organizations that I've been in contact with that, you know, it's like a small business and people have created it themselves. And Mm -hmm. and those people aren't going to hold themselves accountable and ask Mm -hmm. anyone to like, this is why as soon as I got in my private practice, Mm -hmm. I I got a supervisor. (laughs) Yes. Like I need someone to to hold me accountable. And, you Mm -hmm. know, I continue to try to cultivate those types of relationships. So it's, I'm just kind of thinking like, How can we create structures Mm -hmm. that have built in accountability or how can we invite people to want accountability? I'm sure this is a lot of what you're doing in your work, right? You know, that's key. What you said, how can we get people to want it? As you were speaking about rising in the structures, whatever they are, I think that it has to be an intrinsic thing. I think it does have to come from within. And I always talk to my clients about working from the inside out, especially in Mm -hmm. this racial healing and anti-racism integration. It has to become something that we desire personally, not anything for external gain. 
Right. And so that's our core stuff. That's our heart stuff. Yeah. And I think, like you said, the first thing you did was you went and you got someone to be checks and balances for Mm -hmm. you. We need support like that in the field. When we're helping other people, we need people to bounce things off of to make sure we're doing the thing that that makes the most sense with whomever and whatever we're doing. And as you say that, I think about the <laughs> the community building, the accountability, the desire for accountability that goes against our American value yes. of individualism. Rugged. Yes. <laughs> R- That's yeah, rugged right. individualism. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. Because collectivism is the Ubuntu quote, you know, I am because we are and because we are, I am versus you know, it's just me against the world. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, it is about community care. It is about taking care of each other. Mm-hmm. And as much as we try to stray away from that culturally, <laughs> we know that for so many of us in our different ethnic groups, that's the way it's always worked. That's the way right. we're wired. Right. But of course, The larger culture, the larger American culture says, talks about competition, Mm -hmm. (laughs) prizes, uh, overworking, prizes Mm -hmm. being the best, um, values being number one. And so it's hard to foster this community if you're constantly trying to be ahead of everyone all the time, be the best. Yeah. And no man is an island. I know that's trite, but it's so true. Right. It's so just so interesting to me because I think my inherent values have always been community. I mean, I'm a I'm a Libra rising. And so I'm all about relationship. Right. And it's always been just something that I want is connection and asking Mm -hmm. for help and that sort of stuff. And Mm -hmm. so I cultivate this group of people around me who also Mm -hmm. value those things. And I forget I lose touch with what the real world is like. Mm. And then I watch something like (laughs) love is blind. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, Oh fuck, we Mm -hmm. are fucked. If this (laughs) is what humanity is, Uh you know? Uh huh. Yeah, no, you're right. And it does. I I love the fact that you're saying that you cultivate this Mm -hmm. because this doesn't just happen. So it does not back to that intentionality. We have to do that on purpose. We have to seek out our, I guess the buzzword used to be our tribe. Mm-hmm. But we have to seek out community. Yeah. It's important. Yeah. And yeah. it helps us. It's a buffer for when we do go back into the cold, cool world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't have to very much, which is pretty great. Yes. So this has been great time right here. I know, right? <laughs> yes. I do love that a lot. <laughs> that yeah. we've had the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell us more about what happens in the intentional activities and the in the community. I'm really interested in (laughs) what all is happening in your community, right? Where you say people can really show up authentically. What's going on in there? So uh, this is a if it were a house, it's the frame right now. Mm. But my goal is to have it be just a treasure trove of resources Mm -hmm. of support. We have different groups uh, within the academy, uh, a place where we can receive information. Like today, I have a girlfriend of mine who's a 
clinical and forensic psychologists coming in to talk about depression. Mm-hmm. And so a place where we can all kind of pool our resources as well and engage with one another. So the communication is bilateral and not just, mm-hmm. you know, output, output, and then us consuming, consuming, consuming. So at some point, like we do, I, I started this thing that's called Sunday Solutions. So mm-hmm. it's a group, it's a chat feature just hmm. like a chat if you were to click on on our screen right yeah. now and ask for help. I have time reserved once a week where people can just come and we'll chat. And then I have office hours where we do a Zoom face-to-face mm-hmm. and 15-minute laser sessions to help people negotiate anything that's giving them angst at the moment that we could kind of work through really mm-hmm. quickly. So we also have a post group space in there for our intentional conversation groups. So we have three intentional conversation groups during the month. We have one for white people, one for black people, one for anyone who wants Mm -hmm. to come. And then at the end of the month, we have an all group, which is kind of like the bigger version of the anyone kind. Mm -hmm. And we met last night. We meet the last week of the month and Mm -hmm. we're starting the 1619 project. Ooh, yeah. yeah. So we got a chance to kind of dig in, delve in to that. Where I always say it's not a workshop, it's not a seminar, it, it's not a place where people can hide, right? Mm. It's a place where people can come, get support. And basically, it's the what are you doing with the information that you're consuming? Yeah, turning the info into action. Bingo. Yeah. So I'm excited about it. We are small in number, but that is just fine because I want the people who want to be there to be there. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, what sorts of themes are coming up for people in this area, right? Mm -hmm. I'm sure they're different for people of color than they are for white people. I'm just curious what all is showing up. Right. So this has changed over time because we've actually been having these conversations since summer of 2020. Mm. So it's nice that you go right in, right into the fire. Well <laughs> right done. There. Yeah. And so we, we've been going and it's been beautiful just to see the relationships that have been forged mm-hmm. in this space. People have come in and gone and come in and out. The issues that came up for people in the beginning, of course, were the guilt, the anger, the mm-hmm. shock for black people just being tired. Yeah. <laughs> Has continued to be a theme throughout. And then for Black people also, how to navigate these white, predominantly white spaces Mm -hmm. and speak our truths in Mm -hmm. those white spaces and set our boundaries in those white spaces. For white people, I think that it was good to get past the, I don't know what to do (laughs) piece to this is what I did Oh, my goodness. It wasn't perfect. I messed up. But when I go back out again, this is how I'm going to do it. So just a willingness. Yeah, there you go. Mm -hmm. And a willingness to take action. And I love that about our community. I love that when we get in our group with everyone, I love the way that people keep each other accountable. Yeah. And for instance, the white people are willing to hear. Right. And even if it's something that stings a little bit, hurts a lot. They're able to share about that experience Mm -hmm. and move through it. Yeah. 
And that's what doing the work is about. That's when it goes yes. from being a checklist item yes. to actually being an integrated part of who people are. Right, right. Yeah. Our first cohort of Wounded Healers virtual group is full. If you wanted to join but missed this opportunity, never fear. I'll be hosting the group again this summer and likely next year as well. Wounded Healers virtual group is an eight-week group for mental health professionals led by me. In this group, we will create a sacred container to support one another's healing, integrating spirituality, principles of the neuroaffective relational model, shame resilience, and liberation psychology. We'll use the chakra system as a frame for our weekly meetings. To be notified about the next cohort, go to tinyurl.com slash woundedhealerwaitlist. Again, that's tinyurl.com slash woundedhealerwaitlist. Okay, I've got a hard question for you, yes. and I didn't think about this before, so I'm totally kind of making it up as I go along. But I've had this question when I've mm -hmm. been doing presentations on anti-racism, anti-oppression. And then mm -hmm. also I've had a couple people, practice owners, mm -hmm. kind of share the same sentiment with me. So the hope is that everyone will hold their space and also hold themselves accountable to what they're bringing into the space, right? Yes. And the question that has come to me a couple times is mm -hmm. the question is usually from a white person and let's just use an archetypal, right? So the archetype is yes. a person of color who, and I think that this is true, that mm -hmm. there is a victim mentality mm -hmm. on top of mm -hmm. the real systemic racism and all these sorts of things. But sometimes there's this question about a person who has like maybe personality disorder stuff mm -hmm. or there's something character logical happening okay. that's sure. not it's beyond right and I actually had this conversation with a friend yesterday about someone okay. that they hired in their practice and just there were requests right. being made like I should only have a supervisor of color okay that's just not how small businesses work right okay. so the question essentially is how do we support the part of this person where the reality is is that they do have racial battle fatigue syndrome mm -hmm. they do mm -hmm. experience all of these harms on a regular basis and yeah. maybe they're not actually being harmed right now mm. I don't think that black people are never not being harmed yeah okay yeah <laughs> I mean, I could be in my house, I could be outside of my house. You know, harm doesn't have to look like the atrocities that we see happening on the news. Yeah. But I think that there are so many times when Black people are being harmed, people of color are being harmed, where the people who are harming them, who are not of color, mm -hmm. don't even realize that mm -hmm. harm is being done. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's very important to understand dig deeper right. with the person and find out what makes them express the needs that they do mm -hmm. and really engage them in understanding the experience mm -hmm. and then really try to meet them in a middle ground right. that's feasible. Yeah. What's coming up for me right now is the stories that I've heard where that also feels like an attack. Yes. Okay. Even the invitation for uh -huh. really trying to understand feels like an attack right. as well. And so, yeah, sorry. Sorry. This is I like hear, really, no, really no, no. hard. <laughs> no, it's, it's fine. It's fine. I understand what yeah. you're saying. So you're saying that even trying to dig deeper mm -hmm. feels like it's an attack. Yes. 
And I think it's the way the digging Mm -hmm. has to go. I think the digging can't be from a place of trying to believe someone. I think that we have to believe people. Yeah. Okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. So if it comes from a place Mm -hmm. where people feel like their experiences are being questioned or not being validated Mm -hmm. from the beginning, Mm -hmm. there's an automatic wall Mm -hmm. that's going to go up. Mm -hmm. But there are so many things that people aren't sharing Mm-hmm. That probably got them to the point of asking for something that they need. Mm-hmm. And then I think also important is to talk about the fact that we're not a monolith. So even if I did have a black supervisor, for instance, exactly. that black supervisor might not necessarily understand me right. or the experiences right. that I've had or be sensitive enough to deal with me in a way that values and honors who I am. And so I think all those pieces yeah. <laughs> are part of it. And maybe also a good point to pull in someone who's objective, mm-hmm. who's not biased right. to mediate. Yeah, I think that's probably necessary in a lot. So of- it's not a one against one. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, and also, mm-hmm. too, I'm just thinking about what my advice usually has been is at least white person to white person is, mm-hmm. are you actually creating a space that's safe ish? Right. And I yeah. totally agree with you. I do think yeah. just in the matter of the way that all systems are constructed, that people of color are being harmed on a regular basis Is the white person, if you're the one in charge, are you doing the work in order to really hold space for someone? And then, yeah, I think really a mediator probably is the best Mm -hmm. idea. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That And and I think the questions need to be asked. Mm -hmm. And in addition to us asking, for instance, you asking your white coworker, are you holding the space? I think the white coworker needs to go back to the coworker and say, and do you feel like I'm holding space? Right. And if I'm not, what <laughs> would that look like? Right. Because that's yes. the piece where the characterological stuff might show up is if they say there's nothing I can do, then we can't mm-hmm. have a conversation. That's a conversation stopper. And so if we can right. keep the conversation going mm-hmm. in a way mm-hmm. that can I'm going to say this and it's already (laughs) wrong, but I'm going to say it anyway, because what was coming up was like the assumption of positive intent. Mm -hmm. But that Mm -hmm. is probably what has harmed a lot of people of color in the workplace because they've assumed. Yeah. Yes. Because, for instance, let's say I have a white coworker. Let's say I have a white supervisor, which I have before. And it was awful. It was an awful experience. I literally used to cry on the way to internship, Mm. cry on the way home from internship. And if this supervisor were to have come to me and said, am I holding a safe space for you? I wouldn't have felt comfortable speaking to him. Right. I would have been like, yeah, it's fine. I'm fine. Right. So sometimes people aren't in a position to articulate it. Sometimes they don't even feel safe enough to articulate it. So that's where that intermediary might come in handy. And accountability for leaders. And there you go. Accountability. Exactly. Because we're all deconstructing. Mm hmm. (laughs) stuff. Mm -hmm. All of us. Just think about it. I mean, I just told you about my education. I told you about my master's. I told you about my PsyD. So now I'm thinking to myself, okay, these are all older white guys (laughs) whose theories I've been trained to practice. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, so I'm always, you know, the cultural competency piece is huge in deconstructing Mm -hmm. a lot of the way that we approach this work. Right. Yeah. Do you know Shauna Marie Brown? No, I haven't heard that. Okay, follow. She's Heal Assista on Instagram. Okay. And she has a course called Decolonizing Therapy for Black Folks. Uh And she really Uh brings in black wisdom. It's totally Mm -hmm. black centered. And so Mm -hmm. all of the theories and stuff that she brings in are from black scholars. Yeah. And that's been something that's been, I think, so crucial to that's the decolonizing our academia is bringing in diversity in what we're actually learning, not just bringing in diverse students, but diversity in what we're learning. Mm -hmm. And my hope would be is if we can do more of that as Mm -hmm. leaders, because that's really what I want to start focusing on is if you're working in a fucking therapeutic organization (laughs) or a place where people are learning how to heal, you fucking better be doing the work yourself. And I really, really want to be there to help guide people because White people mm-hmm. are always like, what do I do? Mm-hmm. I mean, we'll look at APA. <laughs> Up until this point, it took us all these years mm-hmm. for APA to come out with a statement that said, we're sorry. And all the time, I know as I'm sitting in therapy, like, mm, that doesn't work. We're not doing that. <laughs> we're not doing right, it that way right. because this is not this is not part of who we are right. as a culture. Right. Yeah. So mm. <laughs> we've been kind of doing our own thing for a long mm-hmm. time, but we need everyone else to get on board with understanding mm-hmm. that Sue and Sue textbook. It's not just for the shelf. Yeah. It's actually for the therapeutic environment as well. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> mm. Well, mm-hmm. let's shift into the healer talk. Cause I'm really curious yeah, sure. about your answer to this question. Do okay. you consider yourself a healer? Of course. I oh, absolutely I do. I do. I think it's a, I think it's such a compassionate term. Mm -hmm. And I I think it really gets to the core of the empathy, the putting ourselves in the shoes of another. I also think of servant leader, Mm -hmm. that term, Mm -hmm. when I hear healer, that comes Mm -hmm. up for me because my purpose is to really kind of serve, Mm -hmm. will lead, of course, be that leader in serving and facilitating growth Mm -hmm. for the greater good of the individual, which then has an effect on the collective. Exactly. Yeah. Good. I love that you take the word. Sometimes people push it away. And I, I just want everyone to believe that they're healers. So yes, that's always my yes. Well, how do you feel about the term wounded healer? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I absolutely do believe the Carl Jung, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. The Carl Jung idea about how we're compelled to be these healers because We also are wounded. And I think we can all just kind of look around the room Mm -hmm. in any academic graduate setting Mm -hmm. that we've been in and see like, oh, yeah, this is why many of us, most of us were drawn to this field and degree of need to heal is different. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But also just as a black woman, I come from a lineage and ancestry of wounded healers, 400 years plus Mm-hmm. of Black people being traumatized day in and day out, mm-hmm. uh, who, despite our maltreatment, mistreatment, mm-hmm. are still able to love and love mm-hmm. people who don't look like us as well. And mm-hmm. so that love, I feel, allows me to always be hooked into spreading joy, uh, reminding people to find their joy, being light, reminding people to source 
their light and also help facilitate that healing process for people who, again, the people who want it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what you're saying reminds me a lot of, and I think it's just called Black History. It's a master class. <laughs> Have you seen this on Prime? Literally. I'm on season three right now. I I'm haven't watching finished it, it like, yet. I just started I it. I have to... Oh, it's going to be gone by the time I get. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, what you're talking yes. about with black love. Yeah. And I think it's even the first full episode mm-hmm. where they say black love loves everyone. And I was like, fuck, yes. it does. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. We have always been the people to nurture, the people yes. to take care of. Mm-hmm. Yes, you definitely will. I don't want to watch it all again I before know. this month is over if I can. I know. But. It's that black love, that black joy that Mm -hmm. we're able to tap into that I think has made people, white people, people who have espoused this white supremacy. I think that's what makes them so angry. That's what Mm -hmm. makes whiteness so angry that even though we've trampled on you and tried our best to push you down, you still rise with this love, this light, this joy. Mm -hmm. And so I think just by virtue of who I am, mm-hmm. that's a part of me. That's a part of my wounded healer yeah. entry on the resume. Well, I think that white people are scared of joy. I really think that because <sighs> as I've heard that I'm not that I'm not white. I'm not your typical mm-hmm. white girl, right? Uh-huh. Because people look at me and they're like, what are you doing? And so I've bumped up against that my entire life being Mm -hmm. very myself in a Mm -hmm. way that is threatening to stereotypical white people, you know, long blonde hair, whatever, whatever we want to say. And it's I especially see it with therapists that Mm -hmm. there's this fear, there's this contraction, right? There's almost like the Barbie doll therapist sort of way that you're supposed to be and joy If I really think about joy is unpredictable, it's wild abandon, and Mm -hmm. that doesn't feel safe for people who need to present in a certain way and people who Mm -hmm. want to maintain power in a certain way, right? Because if I'm joyful, you could fucking shoot me or I don't know, whatever whatever it is that deep fear is. But I I think, yeah, yeah, white people are afraid of joy, Mm -hmm. I think that because it has to come from a place of connection with self. Oh, God. And that's what they're (laughs) trying to kill out of us. That's what. It has to be authentic, right? Mm. It has to be unpredictable. It has Mm -hmm. to be spontaneous Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it can't be controlled. It can't be presented in a certain Mm. way. It can't be connected to impression management. It's real. It comes from a real place. And there are a lot of times where I've heard my hairdresser say as we're talking, she's a black woman. Wow, this is just white people don't have to go through the things that we go through. This is through the years, this conversation. And she said, you know, but a lot of people are just miserable. Yeah, they're miserable because they can't be themselves. They don't even know. They don't even know. They don't even know. They are. Right. Yes, because fragments (laughs) whiteness wants Mm -hmm. things to be the same. They want things to be reproducible because that's all about productivity. Oh my god! Every time I make a connection, I know it blows my mind. It's a circle. It is. It's a circle. It, It it's about being producers. It's about 
again, <laughs> we're right back at the beginning of the right? conversation yeah. about being the best, about being on top, mm-hmm. about the gold mm-hmm. star, about the ribbon, about the trophy. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's not a, a communal right. feel. Right. Yeah. And so that's why it's odd to go somewhere. And that's why it's off-putting to be in a space with Black people when they're just really being just who they are and not being comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's not something that is understood. Right. If you're not connected with yourself. My friend Mashera, I can't remember if this Mm -hmm. is something she just said to me or if she said in the ether at one point, but she's like, Mm -hmm. our joy has always been monitored. There's rarely been a time in history where if we're out having a barbecue Mm -hmm. in the park, the police are coming, right? Mm -hmm. When we were Mm -hmm. slaves, our slave masters were watching. Mm -hmm. The joy has always been policed. It's always been Mm -hmm. monitored. And it's always Mm -hmm. the fucking, oh. Camp down. Yeah. Mm. And you can ask your friend, Mashera, ask her about, because I'm. (laughs) Mashera, you listening right now? (laughs) Yes, Mashera. Tell Sarah, because I know you've had these experiences about a time you've been at work and you've been speaking with another colleague of color or a black colleague and someone white (laughs) comes up and they're like, so what are you all talking about? Like the fuck? Mm -hmm. It's none of your business what we're talking about. But there's such a a threat Mm -hmm. when that happens. And that goes back to the slave codes. Mm -hmm. No congregating, right. no organizing, right. right? no just letting us live and breathe our lives. And right. you see that. You see when we were freed mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we were pushed out into mm-hmm. the world with nothing mm-hmm. while white people were being subsidized right. and, and still like, are what? in every you way. You can't make it on your own? <laughs> What's your problem? Right? Yeah. And you see how we, mm. even out of that, created our own community. I know. And you see what happened to those. Right. Many of right. them, not all of them, but many of them were just torched. Right. Because mm-hmm. it's almost like a, a light that won't go out. Yeah. When you said that earlier about that resilience, uh-huh. right? When I was watching the Black history, I was just like, I was just crying, just thinking, yes, the mm-hmm. beauty and the pain in that reality right. is so right. just so profound. Mm-hmm. It is. And that is... That's having to know that's every day. Right. That's every day on some scale. I was just thinking yesterday as I was driving down the street and I love the way that you said the space is professionally vulnerable. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was just thinking yesterday about how we bought a Subaru for my oldest son just so he wouldn't be profiled. Mm. Yeah. Think about that. Think about everything that that went into that. Yeah, because you're less likely to be profiled in a Subaru than you are in said car with black tenant windows. Unless it's purple, I'll tell you, because when I'm in the rougher parts of town, I get pulled over. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they, they yeah. just see this. Okay. They can't see anything else coming up and I get pulled. It's so funny. I love yeah. that. That is that is Thank all you. that. Yeah. And the purple <laughs> I love car, it so much. it's too individual. <laughs> I couldn't possibly be a well, white yeah. person. Because the purple car is too joyful. Mm-hmm. I mean, we could even mm-hmm. get into colors and how black people wear loud colors right. stereotypically. Right. So you're fitting right in there mm-hmm. with the stereotype. Mm-hmm. You fit your purple right. car. Do you have tinted windows as I well? I don't. But I, I okay. want to now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? They probably wonder, like, who who is she affiliated with who's black here? Yeah. Yeah. 
Mm. Mm -hmm. I could talk to you literally for the rest of my life. So I hope that we can do this again, that we we can connect. Please like call on me whenever you need me. I would love to continue to support you. But before we go, will you tell folks how to find you and how they can connect with you? Of course. So the umbrella of my life is intentionalactivities.com. Intentionalactivities.com. That's the website. The Intentional Activities Academy is intentionalactivitiesacademy.com, which you can also find through the website. That's our community space through Mighty Networks. And then most of the time I am on Instagram. Killing it uh, out I there. I have account. <laughs> oh, thank you. I love our community there as well, even though I'm always censored and monitored and shadow banned. But whatever, I'm not leaving. I'm not being run out. Mm -hmm. I always say I'll be here until they kick me out. So yes, Instagram is at Dr. Period B Shabazz. B as in Barbara Shabazz. And then I have accounts on LinkedIn as well that I check every once in a while. Yeah, fuck LinkedIn. Which I don't really. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, eh, nah, I'm Mm -hmm. there for whatever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just because society, but that feels very... Yeah. to me as well it feels very white supremacy culture and yeah characteristic 100 so. percent. yeah so i try not to yeah. spend too much time there. yeah yeah well is, is yeah. there any anything you want to leave listeners with after our mm. conversation today no pressure but if something comes to you <laughs> you know the thing i've been saying this week and i actually wrote it in the in the text as I'm scribbling in my 1619 project book, I wrote what we don't repair, we repeat. Mm -hmm. So not talking about it, not addressing it doesn't make it go away. Yeah. And I always tell my clients that like, okay, well we can talk about it now or we can Mm -hmm. talk about it when it comes up in six Mm -hmm. months. Cause it will. Either way, we're going to have to talk Mm -hmm. about it. So what we don't repair, we repeat. So even if we're not ready to deal with something today, shelve it, box it, put it there to wait, but definitely get back to it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love you. I don't know if that's too forward, but I do. I love your energy. (laughs) I love everything you're putting out in the world. And I love these random Instagram connections that turn into actual relationships. And so please, please, please know that you can call on me whenever you need and yeah let's just be friends I know I appreciate you so much I thank you so much for reaching out to me it's an honor to be here and I'm just really grateful for the support Mm. I do appreciate that so much yeah well thank you of course of course Thanks so much to Barbara for being such a wonderful guest. I'm still obsessed with her and will continue following her on Instagram and connecting with her in all these amazing ways. If you want to learn more about Barbara, you can go to our website at www.headhearttherapy.com slash podcast. And as always, thanks to Andrea Klinder and the Creative Imposter Studios for editing, Liam O'Donnell for our album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Until next time, bye-bye.